Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 233. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Mark Gerson-Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning, listeners. Good morning, viewers. Good morning, members. Mike, we are diving back into a brand new series. We're actually halfway through, but boy, do we have an action-packed episode ahead of us today. And I'm going to say, Mark, I'm a little proud of choosing the work of Michael Bungay-Stainer. He's a smart, creative chap, and I think he's got a lot to teach us, as we saw in the last episode, around how to coach and mentor others. And part of building any good business project, product, you name it, it takes the exchange of ideas. And I think this book today from old MBS is right on the money. Yep, that's right. MBS's book that we're diving into today is The Advice Trap. Be humble, stay curious, and change the way you lead forever. Mike, if there was ever, and maybe I've said this before on the show, if there was ever a subheader to one of our books that we cover on the show, I think Michael Bungo Stanier might be taking it here because in the advice trap, almost let's say an extension to the book that we covered last week, which was the coaching habit, he's really diving back into really getting the most out of your team, your colleagues, and your workforce. And I think today the difference that we're really going to explore is how to really ask questions that drive, I think, impact as well as engagement amongst your team and figure out a way of really bringing out the best in in those around you, don't you think? I think that's a big part of it. And I think this is like if you subscribe to a growth mindset where learning and resilience is part of your practice, well, I think what this book does and is closely related, it takes it into the exchange of ideas and how to collaborate together. So the premise that we're going to explore together today, Mark, I think is going to be all about the idea of curiosity and advice and embracing change and doing things differently. I mean, if you think about the Apple campaign, think different. This book is all about that kind of stuff. And it's going to give us some clues on how we can discuss, talk, create, brainstorm with our colleagues, with our teammates in a way that is not only great for the pursuit of better idea and a better self, but I think better teamwork and most importantly, helping those around you. And if there was ever a silent way to become a great leader, it is empowering those around you. So Mark, I am ready to dig in. Mm, Empowerment, getting those around you on the same page. I mean, Mike, this is music to our moonshot ears. So I'll tell you what else is music to our ears, and that's Michael Bungestania himself. So enough of the chit-chat, Mike. Why don't we hear from MBS and the Future of Work podcast, who are going to bring to life three of the key themes from the book and help us understand each other. What's a simple way for people to understand empathy? Because empathy and sympathy are obviously not the same thing. And I feel like I feel like in our organizations, we're pretty good at the sympathy part. You know, I'm yeah. sorry you feel that way, like blah, blah, blah. Um, so how would you explain the empathy piece and any suggestions yeah. on how to practice that as a leader? Well, you know, people know my bias from listening to us for the last 45 minutes, but I am committed to curiosity being this essential leadership behavior. 
And as I did this work and figured this stuff out and wrote this book, I saw three leadership characteristics emerging from leaders who were deeply based in curiosity. There was empathy, there was mindfulness, and there was humility or, or being humble. Mm. And each one of those gives you access to greater knowledge. Empathy is greater understanding of the other. Mindfulness is greater understanding, or humility is greater understanding of the situation, or no, of you. And a mindfulness is a greater understanding of the situation. When you're, when you're more mindful, you're more in the moment, you get to see more, you get to notice more, you're actually a little better connected to the truth. When you're empathetic, you actually get to understand a little bit more about what's going on for that other person, and you're a little bit more connected to the truth. When you're humble, you get to see more about who you are and all your messy glory, and you're a little more connected to the truth. And when you have the three of them, you have this kind of combined way of seeing reality that makes you smarter and wiser and less easily triggered and less easily kind of push down patterns of behavior that no longer serve you. Hmm. So mindfulness, humility, and empathy. Yeah, uh, and then the how do you go about uh, practicing or implementing these three things as a leader or as an employee? Are, are there yeah. any... Uh, I don't know. You know, honestly, it, it, I don't want to say simple things, but just practical things. Well, I, I feel like I'm banging the drum. So forgive me for keep saying the same answer, but I do think by staying curious longer, these three things open up for you because when you're curious longer, you actually get to understand that other person a bit more. You stop just going, yeah, okay, shut up, Jacob. Let me just tell you the ideas. Uh, when you're curious longer, you get to find out what's really going on. So you're a little more grounded in what's going on. When you're curious longer, you actually get to see what drives you and who you are as a leader. So you get that kind of humility of being your feet kind of on the ground. You have that connection. Curiosity, 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 Mark. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, in order to be curious together when we want to work on something, think about something, discuss something, sometimes – Time is our enemy, like the rush, um, the reaction, and just trying to get it done before close of business. And it's really interesting to put this idea of curiosity forward. And he touched on those themes that we've got up on the screen here for those of you that are watching. And what I love is that these three areas, empathy, humility, and mindfulness, have to be almost the direct opposite of what we see so much time as cast as the iconic leader behaviors. So much time they are squash-buckling Rambo predator types who are barging and pushing things forward and in a rush, never resting. But I think what you see here is it's like the starting point to all of this curiosity is create time and space. Take a breath. Look around you. See how people are doing. Uh, be aware of the dynamics, perhaps in a room or a call or a meeting. Like this is the almost the groundwork. If you want to entertain the curiosity piece, if you want to search for a better way of doing something, just rushing to the same old conclusions. Uh, without the, some sort of deeper work, it, it's 
Yeah, you're never going to get a difference there. You have to look to these things. And what I think, Mark, is these are three things that you can remember, even if you want to kind of selfishly be great yourself, then the first thing you do yeah. is abandon that uh, preoccupation and make those around you great. And I think these three things, it's a very good start. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. And I think these three areas, empathy, awareness of others, humility, awareness of self, and mindfulness, awareness of the situation. Obviously, MBS is coming at it from a leader perspective. But I, th- I quite like the idea that actually this is true for any interaction, yeah. situation, collaboration, or even just uh, appreciation of the moment in your life. You know, when you've got a very tough day ahead or you're running late and, you know, the bus is, is, you know, running through a puddle and you're getting soaked, whatever it might be. I think this has a really real extension into not only how to be better with others. Mm-hmm. And obviously the theme of the book is advice, the advice trap. How do you provide advice to others? How do you uh, advise, uh, take on board advice yourself? I think the extension here could be, how do we stay curious outside of business as well Yeah, and actually take time to appreciate others around us? How do we appreciate the situation as an opportunity to practice maybe our mindfulness, practice our humility when we're referring back to ourselves, reflecting on how we're reacting to certain things? Maybe it's through journaling and so on, but as well as the empathy piece, how are we looking at others? How do we take care of them? How are we patient with them rather than reacting immediately and thinking the worst of other people? What do you think of these three, empathy, humility, and mindfulness, is the hardest to do at work? Hmm. At work, I think. Oh, as you're that's, thinking, that's, that's an interesting one. As you're thinking, I'll read out the, the subheadings. Empathy is awareness of others, humility. Mm-hmm awareness of yourself and mindfulness is awareness of the situation which do you think is the hardest of the three i think the hardest for me is the awareness of others and the reason being that there is a selfishness that i think comes with being in a working situation you and i don't necessarily mean oh i, I don't want to get fired so therefore, I'll throw other people under the bus. It isn't I'm not going to that extreme. But I think what happens quite naturally with work is there's a self-preservation angle. You want to make sure that you are delivering the best of your abilities. And sometimes what that can lead to is a dismissal of somebody else's request. Okay. To put, a, to put an example into a situation, somebody might come up to you and say, hey, I, I've got this idea and I really need to run it past someone. No, sorry, I, I'm too busy right now. Mm. I've got a deadline. Or, hey, I, I don't really understand this process or system. Do you mind? It's going to take a couple of hours. Do you mind helping me? Well, no, sorry, I've got my own deadline. I think the awareness of others and maybe the uh, the situations that they themselves are in is probably where there's a real struggle perhaps mm. because you are, you know, pre-distracted, um, I suppose you could say with the jobs that are already on your plate. And as we've talked about in the past, a lot of the time when it comes to deadlines, they they aren't real deadlines. 
we can move them. Ideally, you can think about the work, think about the situation, reflect on it, come back to it later. And likewise with the self, with humility, I think there's an there's there's work that we're all always doing, trying to understand ourselves, recognize certain behaviors. I think, and I want to hear your point of view, Mike, that empathy is probably the hardest one within the office yes. just because of that alignment. Yeah, I think you're right. So I'm trying to think of like, we've basically got to get all three of these um, practices working to unlock uh, curiosity as per Michael Bunge Stainer. So let's play this out a little bit. Like I think my go-to on humility is don't be the first to speak and listen to understand, right, not to try and argue a point. So I think that would be a really good starting point for habits around humility. Don't be the first to speak. Ask a lot of questions. Be reluctant on giving advice too quickly, you know, that kind of stuff. Just understand, you know, and listen to others. We'll tackle empathy last because that one seems like it's the tricky one, Mark, that you've successfully (laughs) Awareness of the situation. Um, Tell Mm. me where you think uh, MBS is going there. I I think this is understanding as a leader. Obviously, remember the, the theme and the angle that MBS is coming from here is how to show up as a leader. I think awareness of the situation is the whole pie rather than focusing just on the immediate slice. Yeah. Okay, well, what are the uh, the quarter deadlines that we need to hit? What are the uh, goals that we have in place from either a KPI perspective or a revenue perspective? I would say that the mindfulness piece, the awareness of the situation, is taking a step back and being able to, as we've referenced in the show, work on it, on the business, mm-hmm. rather than in the business. And from a helicopter perspective, being able to see where all of your teams are working, the work that is moving forward from a high level perspective, perhaps more so than really getting into the guts, mm. because as a leader, you don't really have time to do all that. I think that's where he's coming from with this mindfulness angle, with this so, mindful space. Yeah. So I would present to you a couple of things you can do there. So imagine that we're at the start of a meeting. And you want to like be aware of the situation before arriving in that meeting. I would say, do we have the right people in the Mm. right place at the right time for this conversation? Like a little check-in, right? Does it feel Mm. right to have these attendees talking about this subject right now? It just has to be a quick check. And that might reveal, do you know what, maybe if we have these people in the room that doesn't really serve the objective of the meeting, or maybe it's the other way around. In order to serve the objective of the meeting or the goal of the project, actually, we really do need to grab some people. So rather than just showing up and sort of scrambling and bootstrapping your way through the meeting, you can, regardless of whether it's your meeting or someone else's, I mean, what a power tip if you were organizing a meeting and I came to you and said, hey, I know what you're trying to achieve, and I think we need to have this meeting. But I'm wondering, surely we might need to get uh, Joe and Jane in the meeting as well because Mm. they're pretty involved in this and they might have some good ideas. Now, you might say, I thought about it, but here's why I didn't. I'll be like, okay, all good. Or you might be, Mike, that's a great idea. I didn't even think to get them involved. 
So that's, that's, I think, some good mindfulness habits. Let's go after this rather challenging one of awareness of others. Now, I think the greatest trap to fall into here is thinking, well, if I just ask them how they're going, then I'm yeah. checking it out. But I think we can do a bit more than that. If you want to be a, aware of how others are feeling, thinking, um, what, what little habits do you think, what little practices do you think we could use with folks to truly understand where they're at? Well, I think there was obviously the build that we heard from MBS in the coaching habit, which is, uh, and then. So this idea of really active listening, really getting into, similar to the Toyota five whys, what is the issue? Why is that the case? Tell me more. Let me know. And this idea of really diving into potential problem or the root cause of potential challenges that uh, an individual or a colleague might be facing. Mm. I think it all starts, it, it probably starts there, this idea of active listening. Yeah. And so the, to continue on that theme though, Mark, um, often the hardest thing is the icebreaker, right? Yeah. So coming back to this idea of like just not asking how you're doing, one of the things I would like, like I like to do is I would not kind of go after someone directly and say, how are you feeling? Are you okay? I think that's a little too direct. And you're, not, you're just going to get, yeah, I'm fine. You know, you're not going to get like, I like questions that are not definitive in their answer, like yes or no. I like deliberately asking questions, how did you feel about X, Y, Z? Or I'd be interested to know what you think about this and see where they go. And then mm. you keep in with your five whys. This is like a one-two punch, Mark, because I asked the open. Yeah, it is. Like, Why? Tell me more. What else? How come? Can you yeah. help me understand that? But I think the most important thing is to ask people how they think or feel about a thing, and then you can talk about the team or even themselves if that is appropriate. And I think that's how you start to at least hear from them um, how they're doing. I mean, the other big one, Mark, is nonverbal gestures, right? Mm. Mm. The idea of really being able to read people's rea- not only reactions, and it's a lot easier to do, obviously, that in real life, um, unless you're expressive like you and me, Mike. I think our viewers can probably tell what we're thinking by our facial animations, I yeah. suppose. But uh, our listeners might find that a little bit harder to do. And I think there's a lot that we can glean from this idea of reading people, isn't there? Yeah. There's I mean, a lot it, of work we can do there. There's this idea of reading the room, right, that you've probably heard about. So imagine mm-hmm. if you've done your little mindfulness practice before the meeting to say, hey, right people, right place. And then you're like, okay, I'm just going to listen and learn for the first half of the meeting. That listening and learn move sets you up beautifully to read the room because you're not busy trying to like be the smartest person in the room. You're just listening and watching. And like, what do you think some of the tells are for a person that's like disconnected or not feeling good in the meeting? What would you look for? Well, I mean, from personal experience, anybody who's probably got a laptop in front of them and they're sitting (laughs) opposite you, kind of like this, Mike. Yeah. And you can't see them. Yeah. Well, that's probably a big alarm bell, right? Yeah. yeah. 
that's a big I, one. I think, yeah, I think a distraction. I think um, po- probably those, again, going back to your idea of uh, locking in the attendees, try and get, encourage everybody to have either something to say or to take some kind of involvement. Because I think there's been a lot of times that we've probably all been on calls where maybe even ourselves, we've sat there and maybe not really needed to contribute anything. And I think that's another big, I wouldn't say alarm bell, but another area where I think we can improve when it comes to collaborating with others is trying to encourage active participation. Sometimes, you know, a simple tip from those businesses who work remotely, always have your camera on. Something as simple as that encourages, breaks down that barrier, doesn't it? It really does. So look at that. Some practices of empathy, humility, and mindfulness to get the curiosity in the meeting going. That's got me curious. And I tell you, there's a bunch of curious cats in our community. They might be listeners. They might be viewers. But, Mark, we call them members. Boy, do we have some members on the go right now, Mike. These members are uh, coming back to us week on week and really working hard on embracing their best selves. So please welcome Bob, Marjolin, Ken, Dietmar, Marjan, Connor, Rodrigo and Lisa. Sid, Mr. Bonjour, Paul and Berg, Kalman, Joe, Christian and Samuela, Barbara, Andre, Eric and Chris, Deborah, Lasse, Steve and Craig, Daniel, Andrew, Ravi and Yvette, all of our annual members. Ta-da! But also on those heels are Karen, Raul, PJ and Nikuara, Ola, Ingram, Dirk and Emily, Harry, Karthik, Venkata and Marco, Jet, Roger, Anna, Raw, Nimelen, Eric, Diana and Wade. Christoph and Denise, Laura and Smitty, Corey, Gayla, Bertram and Daniela, Mike, Nelson, Dan, Antonio, Vanessa and Zachary, all of whom are our members of the Moonshot Show and therefore, Mike, are recipients and receivers of the Master Series. They are lucky devils indeed. They get a whole additional, a second podcast just for them. And we're going to record that master series next week i think what what topic did we come to agreement on for the next episode of the master series well for all of whom are thinking wow th- these guys they're really talking about you know building uh, good working habits with colleagues understanding how to read others uh, essentially i wish they'd kind of do a show on relationships well good news listeners and particularly for our members because we have an action packed Master Series episode recording next week on good relationships. There we go. So whether it's personal or professional, we'll guide you there. And you can only get access to that if you're a member. So head over to moonshots.io, become a member, and enjoy all that cosmic karma. Enjoy all the good stuff. And you'll be on the path to not only being your better self, but you'll be able to embrace harder and easy change. And I tell you what, we've got some thoughts from Michael Bungay-Stainer. So Mark, why don't you let it rip? Let's play this next clip from Michael Bungay Stainer. Let's hear now about the idea of easy versus hard change. One of the things you mentioned in the book that I love is at the beginning, you talk about change and how there's easy change and there's hard mm. change. And changing something like this, this type of behavior, um, taming the advice monster, yeah. that, that's a hard change, right? It's not just something you just figure it out overnight. People. Well, it depends. So let me talk a, a little bit about this whole idea of this change stuff. 
you know, the coaching habit came out and was this surprise hit, went on and sold lots of copies. And it means that there's lots of people who read that book and went, this is great. It's practical, seven good questions. I can use these. And they start using them and things get better for them and for the people that they're managing and they're leading. And so that's wonderful. And of course, there's a small percentage of people, maybe a larger percentage, I hope it's small, who read the book and go, this book sucks. I hate this book. You suck, Michael. Coaching sucks. Your book sucks. You know, all of that. So there's always, there's always the people who are, are not fans, and that's fine as well. Um, and then there are a number of people, you know, and it's probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, who've read the book and gone, I like it. Just can't do it even though it seems straightforward enough because it's just, can you add seven good questions to the way that you work? Can you stay curious a little bit longer? That, that sounds like it should be relatively easy to pull off, but for people, lots of people it's not. And you know, this concept of easy change, hard change, that's me trying to, again, turn, make more simple concepts that are out there. And previously, like Ron Heifetz talked about adaptive change and technical change. Technical change is easy change. Adaptive change is hard change. Um, Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy and immunity to change, you know, touched on this, this work as well. Easy change is when you basically go, look, I'm just kind of, it's additive. I'm, I'm refining what I already do. And taking the seven questions, which lots of people can do, and adding them to how they show up, that is easy change. That's additive change. And that's one way of taming the advice monster for some of the people, which is like, you know what? Just just do that thing. <laughs> Ask and what else a bit more often and, and good things will happen. But for some people, it's like, I can't, it, just adding the thing doesn't work because I can't seem to add the thing. And this is hard change. And hard change is when you realize that you can't just add, you need to kind of transform. You know, the metaphor that I sometimes use is easy change is like downloading an app onto your phone. Hard change is when you need a new operating system. Pretty powerful stuff. When you hear him talking about getting a whole new operating system, Mark, where does it, where do you start when you, when you identify that? Like where do, where do you begin processing that? Well, I, th I think it would be natural when one hears that pretty easy to understand metaphor to feel intimidated. Mm. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work. Mm. I'm going to have to change everything. Mm. I'm going to change the way that my mind works by creating this new change. So I think that's, first of all, a fairly understandable reaction that people may well have. But I think the build on that, though, Mike, is the fact that you can break it down. You can break it down into what MBS refers to as those easy changes and incorporate them slowly into your life. You know, we've obviously covered a lot of different areas on the Moonshot Show with regards to habits, mm -hmm. routines, creating ways of working and ways of thinking that we can start, you know, right away and then see the benefits years down the line, or hopefully sooner. I think for me, the way that I react and interpret what, what Michael was just breaking down for us there is that change is possible no matter how big it is. You right. know, even if it is right. the biggest change possible, you can do it. 
Which, but it takes effort. Yeah, and it's a meta, meta and mega theme of the show, isn't it? Yeah. Like this yeah. ancient wisdom of we vastly overestimate what we can do in a day, but we vastly underestimate what we can do in a year. If you look at Atomic Habits from James Clear and you look at The Compound Effect from James Hardy, these books celebrate just bang away at it day after day and let that beautiful consistency go. Start small, big theme. We heard that from Tim Ferriss. We hear that from uh, James Clear as well. Like why does dieting fail so many? Is that they expect Mm. to lose enormous amounts of weight in a very, very short time. So we can reconfigure ourselves and just pause a moment when we're working with others rather than telling them what to do, ask them, What are the big challenges they face, right? And as they're telling you, I mean, it's almost like don't even conclude on some advice until you've done why five times, a la the Toyota, right? Uh, And then bring out another book that we really loved was Kaizen, you know, this continuous improvement. And this this little uh, infographic that you've got on the screen here for our viewers is following those quality coaching principles and to me is that anyone who you are just helping as a friend or as a colleague or they formally report to you it is really as simple as you have to start by establishing what are the things that have to be addressed until you both are in a strong agreement that this is priority one There's no use entertaining solutions. I think at the heart of any coaching is having the person that's receiving the coaching feeling empowered to nominate the thing that's keeping them up at night or the thing that they want to improve the most. And then it becomes a question of how, if I was to establish, I think I want to improve a particular thing, it's then, Mark, that you can come in and start helping me see possibilities and being curious for longer, as MBS would say. Like until I, I mean, I I will use the doctor-patient analogy, until the patient has had the chance to embrace the diagnosis, you don't prescribe the medicine, right? Why does getting people to stick with their protocols, talk to a physio and you ask them, Okay, what's your greatest challenge? I wish my patients would adhere to the programs that I give them. I tell them to do these stretches and exercises and like half, most, majority of them don't stick to it. Another thing you'll hear a doctor say is I prescribe a a diet or medication and that's hard to get people to adhere to. I think you can only get the adherence and the sticking with it if they embrace it. And to me, that is at the heart of this until you've asked a lot of questions, you you cannot jump into problem solving until you know what the problem really is. And it's admitted, it's acknowledged, it's accepted in all its ugliness, and particularly if it's a problem. Like, okay, I'm cool with it now. Now I want to solve it. Now I, I know it's yeah. there. I want to get onto it. Um, what's what's been like when when you think about easy and hard change? Mark, in your experience, what are the things that you feel are in the easy bucket and what what are the ones that are more challenging? I think the easy bucket 
Well, no, let's start with a hard bucket. Oh, okay. I think the hard bucket is his uh, a little bit more orientated. The things that I think are a lot harder for a lot of us to come to terms with is uh, similar to what you've just said, under uh, a, a coming to terms with how much we can actually get done ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think the big difficult changes come with acceptance. Accepting the fact that, you know what, that that thing I really wanted to finish today, I don't think it's going to work. I've been <laughs> sidelined. It's so funny. Sometimes, I, I constantly am battling with overambitious time planning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. You know, you look at the deadline and there's a lot, there's a lot of easy habits. So we'll, we'll shift on to easy in a minute. Um, there's a lot of easy habits to, to try and set yourself up as, as best as possible to hit those big targets and those big deadlines. But I think for me, when it when it's really challenging and difficult, and when I'm trying to make that big ch- hard change, is coming to terms and accepting the fact that you know what, this this isn't going to be possible. Sometimes that might even, you know, pull the drawbridge up and say, you know what, that means no to everything else. Mm. And that's obviously a huge other lesson that we can spend an entire moonshot show on, Mike. Yes. The power and the ability to say no. Oh yeah. To stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think coming to terms with that really come uh, raises questions around one's worth, one's drive, mm-hmm. one's ability to dedicate themselves to the team. Am I pulling as hard as everybody else? I think really coming to terms and accepting that is, is a big blocker for a lot of us, I think. And going back to uh, MBS's idea around empathy, humility, and mindfulness, I think that plays into a big part. Now I think about those let's call them easier changes. Those, I think, come in the form of quite simple, small, kind of day-to-day, um, almost mantras, or habits that you gradually tick off. And obviously our regular listeners and viewers will probably uh, already be copying you and I with some of our patterns. But the idea of getting your to-do list sorted in the morning before opening up emails, yes. making sure that you have a clear almost time blocked day yes. so that you know to the best of your ability you can hit those targets and those things that you want to try and finish but at the end of the day those difficulties are still going to arise sometimes you pick up the phone and it's not necessarily the thing you thought it would be and now your day has changed <laughs> so it's so interesting that what you said there brings us right back to a growth mindset where you are prepared to accept the fact that there will be hardship and setbacks. But those are all necessarily not necessary parts of growth. You don't go to the gym and expect your muscles to get bigger without having some sort of big weight day, upper body day, and then the next day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm so sore, right? Because you've got to push you got to like like technically break some of those muscle fibers because it's when they're growing back that's the soreness but they grow back bigger mark that's the beauty and it's just like a life if you tried to launch a business and it failed oh my gosh that is like almost the prerequisite for a successful launch because you'll have a clear list of here's what I'm not yeah. doing <laughs> here's what yeah, I learned from exactly. the last one right but so many times when we're faced with self-doubt and hardship, which I think are the, some of the greatest enemies that we face in life, is that we allow them to be a 
sort of permanent judgment upon us. And I think that mm. embracing small, consistent, regular change, continuous improvement, growth mindset, this is the way we tackle the big, hard things. You break them down step by step, right? Step by step, yeah. day by day, and you'll be in a good place. Yeah. Now, all of this is, I mean, we're, we've already covered a, a lot of stuff here and we've covered, you know, understanding others. We've covered, you know, easy and hard change. And if for a moment now you're thinking, okay, how do I keep track of all of this? Mike, there is a destination on the internet. There is a place where you get show notes and you get all these goodies. Where is this place for this Moonshots podcast? Well, conveniently for all of our viewers and listeners, we've named that destination after this show. You can pop along to www.moonshots.io. You can get access to our archive of shows, 233, not even including all of the master series. You can get access to show notes. You've got transcriptions as well as frameworks and helpful reading, all accessible via Mike, moonshots.io. I, oh, what a destination to go and check out. Place to be. And I think if you're feeling curious about that, then you're going to love this next clip because it's MBS, Michael Bungay Steiner, the man himself, talking about curiosity. That's right, Mike. Let's jump straight in, back into MBS and the idea of curiosity. Four layers of curiosity. I think the first one is joyous exploration. Yeah. Joyous exploration is what most people think of when they think of curiosity. It's basically tinkering, exploring, playing, like it's fun. Yeah. Um, then there was the second layer. Um, I don't know if I know them in the exact order. The second layer was deprivation sensitivity. Ooh, that's and the deprivation sensitivity stage of curiosity, or the, or these were these were characteristics, I think, of curious leaders. Okay. Deprivation sensitivity is when you understand that there is something that you want to know. And you don't know it, and you recognize that there's a gap, and you try to close the gap. Right. Um, then there was another one, which was stress tolerance, nice. because a lot of people forget that sometimes being curious is stressful. Yeah. Uh, when you're learning something new, it totally you know, is. Yeah, it can it can be tough. You know, like writing a book about a new topic, or, or, or just um, or just sitting in a place of ambiguity and uncertainty. Yeah. Because one of the seductions of advice giving is it just feels good because you're creating certainty and you're creating direction and you're creating authority and you're creating status. It it just feeds a whole bunch of things that our amygdala, our lizard brain really loves. So even though you're like, this advice is wrong and I'm solving the wrong problem, but I feel good about it. Yeah. As opposed to going, you know what, I'm being curious. I'm giving up power because I'm empowering other people. I'm less sure about where the conversation's going. I'm less sure about what the answer is. You have that uh, uncertainty and discomfort of ambiguity, so for sure. Yep. yep. And then uh, the one that I missed on here, um, and these were actually <laughs> with the greatest potential to innovate inside of an organization have these four characteristics. So joyous exploration, deprivation, sensitivity, stress tolerance, and openness to people's ideas was the, was nice. the fourth one. Um, so that's... At least that's how I tried to look at curiosity is explaining it in those in those four. Yeah, I like, what I like areas. about that is the richness of that definition, because you can imagine and as you think about curiosity for whoever's listening in at the moment, it's a kind of it will be some combination of those four things, depending on the circumstances. Yeah, I will yep. say this. Um, I've seen research from Liz Wiseman, who, of course, wrote Multipliers and uh, is generally just 
she's just generally awesome. Um, and she, just looking this up in the book myself because I want to get this right. Um, she did a little research around uh, the key characteristics of multiplier leaders, the so ones who kind of have an exponential, deeper, greater effect on their, through their leadership than others. And she says, um, of the 48 behaviors I assessed multiplier and dim diminisher leaders against, I found that intellectual curiosity was the characteristic that most distinguished multiplier leaders from diminisher leaders. So that really supports um, Todd's work as well around yeah. high performance has the ability to have that capacity for curiosity. I What I like so much about this, Mark, is he's essentially making the case for those leaders that empower others are the ones that create this multiplier effect. And the way mm -hmm. they, do, they do that is intellectual curiosity. And I think what we're really talking about is this theme of creating time and space to ask better questions, to create better ideas. And the thing is, it's not just a game of chance. You can actually facilitate this. And this chart that you've got up here is perfect, Mark, because it's really basically a playbook to create curiosity and to not just make yourself look good, but to make those around you shine. Like, look at this. Serving as a sounding board, test a tentative path, expand the frame of re reference, provide process guidance, generative, substantive ideas. These are all ways that you can get involved. And so I think this is the, the call to arms that we have for our listeners, viewers, and members, is that you don't have to just turn up to a meeting and hope there will be some creative thinking, some curiosity. There might be a chance for for you to make a real difference in the business, you can actually be the protagonist and serve as a sounding board to others, uh, in expanding the frame of asking, uh, reference, asking what if, how might we, dream big, say, hey, listen, everything feels like 10% better, let's go for 10 times better. What does that look like, right? These yeah. are the ways to create that spark and, and that curiosity. But I think the key connection here is that there are actual studies have been done in which demonstrated that this curiosity is a form of great leadership because it empowers those around you. And this totally reframes being like the Rambo-style manager, right? It does. I think that one of the key areas that really comes to my mind with this idea of curiosity is you've got to cultivate, and I, and I think maybe this is coming back, Mike, to Patrick Lencioni um, as well, this idea of creativity needs to be fostered in an area where nobody is judged. You have to have a, a situation, an environment, where those around you feel comfortable enough to share their ideas. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've been in situations myself where you're kind of sitting there thinking, I, I think this is an idea, but maybe it's been dismissed already. Yeah. Or maybe this doesn't align to the brief correctly. I'm not quite sure. So what happens? There's a chance that that great idea is lost. Oh, Instead, yes. creating that environment where all answers are interesting, celebrated. How good would that be? Where you can create and cultivate ideas because curiosity boundaries don't exist. 
Well, he obviously uses trust as the underlying foundation for everything else. Yeah. All the success that's going to come in a in a team, it's going to start with trust. And I, I, I just my experience as well, Mark. I to, if you want to foster that, you, you look at uh, Ed Catmull's work on Creativity Inc. He speaks a lot to these kind of places, and. You know, the next pillar in Lencioni's work is once you have the trust, you actually have to be able to have the tough conversations. Mm. And if you can mm. do so without judgment, so people really get to the nuts and bolts of an issue without being defensive or accusatory. I mean, this is this is like key stuff. And like too often, we just we see teams just struggling with this, don't we? Yeah, we really, really do. And I think some of that, Mike, is is down to people dismissing those ideas. Sometimes, particularly maybe in big organizations, there's a chance that people have been burnt before. You know, they've come up with an idea, but maybe their management or team have have dismissed it. So I think that's again another demonstration of the importance of being a leader who celebrates and welcomes new ideas. And has the capability to not dismiss them, shoot them down in a way that then demotivates your team. Because at the end of the day, if you are at the receiving end of, you know, a little bit of guidance to say, hey, that idea, it's not going to work. I don't understand why you came up with this. It's possible that that individual won't do it again. They won't come next time with an idea. Who wants to be berated for a suggestion? Um, Yeah. I think the good news is this last clip that we've got. MBS is doing far from berating of us. I think he's giving us a little inspiration, Mark. So why don't you set up our final clip? Look, there's one more piece of advice that's coming straight from MBS. He's coming back to us with the host of Paradigm Shifting Books. This time, Mike, we're going to end on a high note. And now we're going to find out where success comes from. Pretend that you were sitting one-on-one with someone that was just starting off in their career and they asked Mm. for advice. They asked for advice as far as what is success and how can I be successful? What Mm. advice or how would you approach that question? I would say success comes from you continuing to ask that question because it is a changing thing. And one of the ways to live a good life is to keep asking yourself, what does success mean for me? Because um, you'll start down a path which you think is the success you're after and you might, it may be the right path, it may not be the right path. But if you keep stepping back to go, all right, but for me, what does success look like? It allows you to keep reorienting and keep kind of reconnecting to kind of what what matters most because what can happen is you ask yourself at the age of 18 what does success look like for me and then you spend the next 30 years working towards it and then you become a 48 year old person going turns out this wasn't the success i was looking for and um but you've got a lot of sunk cost (laughs) which is like i've got money and spouses and commitments and houses and all sorts of stuff that I thought I wanted. I'm not sure I do. Um, 
it's just really worthwhile going, look, the secret to success is keep continuing to ask yourself, what do I really care about? Because as you grow, it too will change and evolve and shape. And the, the, the more that you can trim your sails to, to catch the wind of what success really means to you, the truer the journey will be. Ooh, some wise old wisdom. Keep asking yourself, what does success mean to me? I mean, this is where my practical mind goes. I, I uh, It might sound a little bit off the charts, but I have my own OKRs. I review them once a week. I have mantras where I state my year goals and I listen and repeat those every single day. Um, and he's absolutely right. They change. They change. Yeah. But just even surfacing your dreams, hopes, and ambitions, let alone having clear, precise, measurable goals, giving voice to what you dream of being and how you wish to live life, to me, is the mm. greatest empowerment that you can take. And it doesn't cost you anything. And there's nothing stopping you from doing it, whether it's a journal, whether it's a mantra, a meditation. These are all things you can, um, you can totally do. And I think the scary thing is how infrequently people do not ask the question, what does success look like for me right now? Where do I really want to be at the end of the year? Personally, professionally, my health, my relationships. And like giving those, expressing those, talking about those with others. I mean, how on earth are we going to stay on track if we're not working on that stuff? Yeah, I think the key takeaway for me is this idea that success is subjective. Yeah. We've heard from Jim Carrey where he says, I wish everybody in the world would get exactly what they wanted because then they'd realize that's not what they want at all. Great. We heard from Matthew McConaughey as well where he, you know, really calls out the fact that success from, uh, you know, a job perspective for him was not necessarily what Hollywood was trying to give him. I think we've heard time and time again that one of the disciplines that we've got to have in our life is to try and take ownership of how we interpret success, how we utilize motivation to get to a point where we're comfortable with the situation. Maybe that's from a professional perspective, from a relationship one, or financially. I think, you know, MBS is making the case here for me that it can be subjective. And that really what it takes is reflection and work on myself. Yeah, yeah. Which I tell you what, that's what I think we do every day when we record this show together. And I hope our members, our listeners and viewers too are totally into it. So there was, we covered a lot of ground here. What, what's your homework assignment, uh, Mark? This week's a tricky one, Mike, because actually I think all four areas were very, very um, well, they got my curiosity going, shall we say. I think, though, the idea of easy versus hard change is going to be something that maintains a little bit of gravity within me, though. Mm. And the reason why I say that is because it's very, very easy for me to dismiss change as something that's a little bit too challenging. So therefore, I might put it on the back burner or or try and dismiss it entirely which, when realistically. Which, Mark, i got to tell you, this is hilarious. This is a guy who grew up in, in England, came to Australia, 
is traveling all around the country with his wonderful wife on all these adventures. And you're saying change is hard? Oh, my gosh, man. And, and, and this is it, isn't it? It's, it's ironic. There's, some, there's subjectivity there too. Yeah. There's yeah. change of noticing opportunities to grow and mix things up, again, as not obstacles, but instead things to be celebrated. Yeah. I think that's something we probably say it every week, something that I really try and take away and, and yeah. actively work on. Yeah. What, what about you when it comes to the advice trap and the work we've heard from Michael Bungastania today? Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, there's so much to like here, isn't it? It's, it's a bit hard to know where to start. I think, I think I really love that first clip of empathy, mindfulness, and humility to kick things off and to create the space for curiosity. The more I can do that and harness all the talent and others, I'm sold. So I'm going to work on that. So on my next call, I have a call in 90 minutes. So I'll try and use my MBS advice. Well, Mark, Mark, I want to say thank you to you. Hopefully we're getting to avoid the advice trap, you and me. And thank you to you, our listeners, our viewers, and our members too. Because today we studied in show 233, the work of Michael Bungay-Stenia once again, and it was the advice trap. And it starts by escaping the advice trap by using empathy, mindfulness, and humility, reaching out to understand others. And the second step was to really quantify easy versus hard change and know what we're signing up for and be prepared to do the hard stuff. And if you want to change yourself and transform others, bring your curiosity, create the time and space for better questions, for reframing so that those around you can truly flourish. And as we ask ourselves one thing every single day, if we want to avoid the advice trap and be the best version of ourselves, we need to ask, what does success mean to me? Ask this question. You'll unlock your potential. You'll be the best version of yourself. And when in doubt, come to the Moonshots podcast where you can learn out together with us here at a place where we're shooting for the moon. All right. That's a wrap.